0: Welcome to the Three D Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Uh, regular ho- co-host Justin Lewis again will be with us next week as we lead up to the draft. Uh, but really wanting to get some special episodes in uh, due to the fact that the draft is coming up, and I'm excited tonight to have uh, one of the very bright basketball up and coming basketball minds, uh, Mr. Jackson Frank. Uh, he writes for the Step Back through the fan-sided network also contributes uh, to Liberty Ballers through the SB Nation network and has really provided some insight as far as the draft goes through Twitter. Jackson, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. And I can't thank you enough again for joining us. I, I know that uh you, uh you 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 being in school and everything, it's uh, it's quite busy nowadays, but uh, but I thank you for for taking the time to join us Uh Really wanted to reach out to Jackson because there's a lot of things going on. Uh, to talk about the Grizzlies a little bit. Also talk about the NBA in general. Uh, but at Jackson, we're really seeing, you know, the NBA offseason pick up. But we'll first start with, obviously, the thing that's on everybody's mind. Uh, we saw Game 5. We saw Kevin Durant have his horrible injury. But the Warriors pulled it out. You know, just your brief thoughts on the NBA Finals. How do you think it's going to play out over these next two games?
1: Yeah, I mean – Obviously the, the the Kevin Durant injury was, was really disappointing and disheartening to see, but uh not that it didn't deserve a, a ton of attention, but it, it really kinda of overshadowed a, a really, really impressive win uh from the Warriors. Not I mean not that we shouldn't have been focused on Durant, but I mean it would have been really easy for them to have their, their star seven footers been killing it all playoffs that already had eleven points in like twelve minutes for them to kind of fold, especially when they were down six with three minutes to go whatever it was, and uh, you know, just after I kind of not got over the Kevin Durant injury, or but just kind of reflecting back, it was just a really, really gutsy and impressive win uh from the Warriors. Kind of giving some hope, and I just, I just think it's one of those those things where a lot of teams could have could have kind of mailed it in and said, "Hey, it's just not our year. We've had a ton of injury luck, and this is a really good team we're playing." Kawhi got hot and kind of powered the Raptors to take some momentum away. Um, and then Stephen Clay did their thing from deep, and uh, they they held up on the defensive end as much as they they uh, needed to. Um. So yeah, I think the finals have been really interesting. You know, I didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't really have a great perspective of how or when Katie would come back at all, um, but I but I, I have just been very impressed with, with the Raptors, and I think it speaks to, you know, Kawhi has been great all playoffs, but they have a really good team in general. It's not just one guy pulling pulling them along. He's done that for some games, but um, just impressed with the what the Raptors have done this series and all playoffs, and uh just also impressed with the resolve the, the Warriors showed uh late in the game to, to keep their season alive on, on Monday.
0: It's been a fun series and I'm glad that it's been competitive. As uh, certainly, you know, I'm not the biggest fan, I don't think anybody is of the fact that, you know, the injuries have hit the Warriors as they have and now of course KD um taking away such a you know supreme talent, you know, from next year. But you know, it should be a fun series. But really wanted to reach out to you in regards to, you know, what's upcoming, and that's the draft. Uh, we're gonna talk about a few things here uh, before that. But um the, the reason why I also wanted to get your perspective is because you are um um you write for Liberty Ballers. You've had experience, you know, covering the 76ers and the Grizzlies and the 76ers now have a little bit of of something in common. We just hired Milwaukee Bucks assistant Taylor Jenkins um, as our head coach. And we're likely going to start a rebuilding phase here in Memphis. But you covering the Sixers, you are on the you know good side of that now. But the Sixers back in 2013, they hired their own coach to oversee their rebuild who had history with the San Antonio Spurs. That's in Brett Brown. That's something that Jenkins has in common with Brown. What do you have to say to Grizzlies fans, you know, as far as, you know, not necessarily about Jenkins, but the fact that they're going to have to be patient for a guy to really be able to have time to make this rebuild work.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that, that really helped Brown in terms of them, just the Sixers just not being very good or prioritizing, prioritizing winning is he got time to kind of figure it out as a rookie head coach. You know, you saw, you saw Nick nurse really struggle at times this year as a rookie head coach. Now he's figured it out, but uh, you know, it nearly cost because they were, he was trying to figure out in high leverage situations, it nearly cost the Raptors, uh, you know, a, a chance to, to make it this far. You know, they, they just squeaked out a great, great series winning against the, the Sixers. And, uh, you saw Nurse make some great adjustments late in the series, but early on he struggled. So I think, uh, it, it is beneficial to the point where, but because Jenkins isn't going to be coaching a lot of high leverage situations, he can tinker with things. He can tinker with his schemes, his rotations, what types of lineup combinations he likes on the floor at certain times. Um, You know, I I am someone, I think Brett Brown is a very good coach and I'm on the, I'm on the side that is in support of him and I was glad to see him retained. Um, But I do think it's just beneficial, you know, that to have an an inexperienced head coach, let's be able to learn through those 28, 30, 34 win season, just like those rookies or those second year guys, those third year guys um, can kind of grow with him, you know, because I think think a lot of times you think about players uh, needing time to adjust, but at the same time coach, like it's just a different, just a different type of beast when you're, you are when you are the head coach, you're not just the one advising in an assistant role or things like that. So, um, you know, the goal is ideally that, that Memphis is patient with him and he, he makes some serious strides year after year, game after game, month after month. And, uh, you know, three years from now, when when Jaron Jackson and John Morant are kind of hitting their stride as potential all stars or superstars, uh, Jenkins is kind of along for the ride, too, and is able to to really be the type of coach they need to. Uh, ideally in the playoffs again
0: so obviously um you know with the draft coming up you know this is going to be jenkins first major um you know decision making when it comes to the draft but you know for the nba as a whole we're we're starting to see you know some dominoes fall we saw the uh, nets um uh, hawks trade that just occurred and of course you know the nets kind of took a blow to their plans with the durant injury but my my spotlight is on that trade itself and now we're starting to see you know talk of, of bigger moves and the Anthony Davis situation we've heard obviously the Celtics and Lakers are engaged um you know and this does involve the number 4 pick so it does involve draft night what are your thoughts on that how do you see the Anthony Davis saga playing it out and how do you think it will affect the draft um um nearly a week away
1: yeah you know i i i think he's going to end up in la um I think it's obviously going to affect the draft, but I imagine uh, that number four pick from the Lakers is going to have to be out the door unless unless it says that the – I think I spread that uh, the Pelicans are interested in Kyle Kuzma, and in that case they can keep the number four pick. Um, but uh, Woj said I think yesterday on the, on the ESPN mock draft that the, the Pelicans and the Lakers are, are hoping to get a deal done before the draft, which is obviously eight days away, um, just so this kind of uncertainty isn't hanging over both franchises. Um, not, not that I really think it affects the Pelicans as much, you know, their, their pick is easy you take Zion and uh, then you figure it out from there with the rest of their draft picks. But um, yeah, I, I think my gut tells me the Lakers, but again, I, if you would have ask me the same thing about Kawhi last summer and Paul George, two years ago, I would have said the same. Uh, so it's just tough. My, my hope is that just, just that they, they, they give their best offer and, they kind of pony up, and, and you know it's just this would be the third time that you know we've heard okay like he's he, X player X wants to go to the Lakers, and if he doesn't go to the Lakers, we'll do it in the free agency. Now, you know it doesn't seem likely that Kawhi is going to go there in free agency. Woj said yesterday that uh, the Lakers aren't a major player for the top tier free agents. Um, so I really just like to see that the Lakers send their best offer to the to the Pelicans, get this deal done. Um, I'm not someone who's super high on Deboz. I think he's very good, obviously a superstar in this league, but uh, I do want to see him play an engaged high level basketball again. I think it'd be really fun to kind of see him and LeBron team up. Uh, so, in terms of just that, I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to the saga being over ideally. And I, my gut tells me it'll be over, but by the time the draft starts in, in eight days.
0: And you bring up a very good point about the history of this type of thing. We've seen it over the past three years with Paul George in Indiana, with Kawhi and San Antonio. These these players who are coming up on the last year of their first major deal, you know, coming off their rookie deal, you know, they're they're now established in their careers. But we've seen one scenario, we've seen both scenarios where the Thunder and the Raptors hit home runs. They, they went for, you know, the home run, the one-year opportunity. George wound up staying. It's likely Kawhi is going to leave. And now we've got Anthony Davis for this upcoming year. Do you think we're going to continue to see this, where you've got this superstar on the last year of his deal, making it clear he doesn't like the situation that he's in, and now teams are – or basically it's like a college transfer. Now teams are trying to get him into their fold to make a one-year run. Do you think that this is going to continue to be a trend in the NBA in the near future?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think that – player autonomy is becoming a lot more prevalent in uh, uh, general. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where I've, I've been frustrated a little bit with how Anthony Davis has carried himself during this, but in terms of Rich Paul, he's done exactly what he should do. He's, he has his agent's best interest at hand. He's going to do everything he can to get him to the situation he wants to be. Uh, and at the same time, he's telling teams that, Hey, like you can trade for him, but he's likely to sign with the Lakers or the Knicks. So just know that. Um, but I, but I do think this is going to become a more common theme. Uh, and at the same time, I think the fact that Toronto, at the very worst, is going to come, be, come within a game of winning the title a year after they kind of looked like they were in shambles uh, getting swept by the, the Cavs last year. Um, I do think it's going to become more common that teams uh, that trust their infrastructure and their stability are going to take a shot at these guys who say, hey, like, I've got one year left. I'm going to go to team uh, A, B, and C. Um, and so I, I, I do hope, though, that more teams do this because, you know, I not that Toronto took a huge shot, truthfully, you know, like they, their ceiling was kind of capped with the Rose and very good player, but kind of flawed in the playoffs. Um, but I do hope more teams uh, take a chance and, uh, you know, trust their trust their own infrastructure and their institution um, and just see what they can do. Because, I mean, it, you say that maybe that it sounds like Kawhi's going to leave, and I, I think that's definitely a possibility, but I would not rule it out in coming back. And I think that's not something a lot of people thought would be the case uh, Eleven months ago, whenever he was, whenever he was first dealt to Toronto, um, so I I just hope that more teams go for go for gold or, or make that big move or that big splash to go from like a, a second round out or maybe a, a conference finalist to a team who with a legitimate chance to win the title. And Toronto's proving that, um, but at the same time, Toronto a very well-run organization with a great GM, uh, a really classy organization, smart organization with smart employees. So. Uh, It's tough to replicate, but I do hope that it spurs other
0: teams to try and do the same. And I do agree with you. I think that it definitely is something that, you know, it encourages, you know, those teams who you may think are still kind of, you know, just waiting for their time and encourages them to really take a chance and see, you know, what they can do. So let's get into the draft for a little bit. And of course, at the forefront of the Grizzlies, you know, fans, minds, anybody associated with the Grizzlies is John ja Morant. And and I really wanted the chance to talk with you because um you have, you have, you know, um, on a pretty consistent basis, updated your top 30. And you never were, you know, really down on John ja Morant, but you did have others, um you know, above him in terms of your rankings. And me and you've kind of interacted on Twitter a little bit that you, have some concerns about John's game, I guess, for lack of a better word. You're not really negative towards him. It's just that you put emphasis on some parts of his game that you think it may take him a little bit longer to improve. Talk about your opinion of John Morant. How do you look at him as a prospect? And when it comes to his potential weaknesses, what are they? And do you feel he has the chance to overcome them?
1: Yeah, you know, I think... One of the things that I think has been kind of circling around uh, this year's draft is it's kind of a three three player draft: Zion, John, R.J. And, and for me, I, I view it as one player draft. I think Zaw. I think jeez, oh, Zaw. Uh, Zion is he's number one. Um, and I think maybe my ranking, my some of my rankings in the middle middle of the season or uh, early in the summer or late in the spring, you know, were a little bit reflective of pushing back against the idea it was a three player draft. So I had. I think the lowest I ever had jaw was six. He's up to three on my board now. And it was one of those things where I realized, you no, know, the star power in this draft isn't great. And I was maybe holding jaw to too high of a standard in terms of what his flaws were going to prevent him from being. Uh, but my, my biggest flaws, I'd say, you know, obviously the defense, like it's, it's pretty abhorrent. Uh, it's just like, he's not necessarily He's not, doesn't lack the tools. He just a lot of effort and awareness and uh, IQ type things. Um, same with his ability to shoot off the dribble. Um, most of his off the dribble shots that I saw this year were ones where he kind of like dance into a step back jumper. He, he struggled with kind of when his momentum was taking him forward to shoot off the dribble. I um, mean, you think, a lot, think about a lot of the best ball handlers or lead ball handlers in the NBA now are guys who can shoot off the dribble from all kind of different angles and situations. Guys like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, James Harden, uh, even Kyle Lowry to an extent, Kawhi, obviously, guys like that. So um i think i worried that he couldn't get to that level but then i realized a little bit that like he doesn't need to get to that level to be a top three player in this draft because he's a heck of a passer with both hands he's got the ambidexter ambidexterity i think he said he's a natural lefty um you see that a lot with his ability to throw those skip passes with his left or right hand um he can get to the he can get to the basket pretty easily you know i I think sometimes Beth is a little overhyped, but he's got a very good first step. He manipulates screens really well as a ball handler, which is really encouraging. So I think there's a lot of things to like, and I think I might have just been isolating on his flaws too much than the, than the few guys I had ahead of him. Uh, and then I was just – I know I had Brandon Clark third for a while. And I just watched a few more games, and I'm, I am somewhat worried about his strength deficit as a, a power forward, and I just realized, you know, I, there's a lot of really good things to buy into with Shaw. Um, Primarily his ability to get into the lane and and create for others. Worried about the decision making a little bit, but I do think that's something that can be kind of rained in. He did have a lot of freedom at Murray State this year to kind of do whatever he needed to do. So um, I wouldn't say I'm his biggest fan, but I would say I've kind of come back towards the middle uh, from where I was maybe a month ago.
0: You know, uh, it seems like the consensus is there, and, and I get your, your points. I, they're very um, intuitive points that you bring up, that there are those types of things, those little nuances of the game where they're going to be important at the NBA level, and Ja probably needs to improve on them. I completely get where you're coming from on that. A lot of people look at the Grizzlies' second pick, and, and the reason why they think that Ja is important is because he is a guard. Um, I think he's important because of his passing ability and his ability to distribute the ball to uplift an offense as a whole. But other people have have really pinpointed uh, the really good potential that's there between Jaw and Jaron Jackson Jr. when it comes to the pick-and-roll game. Do you think if Jaw is the pick that that has the chance to be one of the best pick-and-roll combinations in the league? And why is that so important going forward in today's NBA for the Grizzlies? Well,
1: I I think more than just specifically pick-and-roll, I think the pick-and-pop is really going to be what works for them. You know, uh, Jaron's shown the ability to shoot from deep, and you know, you see a lot of times that a traditional big when you set really good screens and roll the rim sometimes clogs the paint or cuts off driving lanes for, for dynamic downhill guys. Um, so the fact that Jaren's probably a little more polished as a pick and pop guy than a pick and roll actually suits Jaw better, I think, because Jaw likes to get to the rim so much and, and draw fouls or trying to finish over or around guys. Uh, I really think the, the, the fact that Jaren can kind of slip those screens or or pop and then flare out um, and kind of take his defender with him or force a switch whatever, whatever um, is really beneficial to John. You know, I think, yeah, obviously I, and I know that, I know that uh, Jonas Valanciunas is kind of there. There's some rumors that he might decline his player option. Um, but I think the fact that you're going to have Jaron probably a lot, run a lot of five with John, they're going to let that tandem work together uh, is really ideal. And the fact that, you know, Five years from now, if those two have turned out to be stars, you're going to have a, a play or a set that you can kind of go to the well late in a playoff game and know that it's going to produce with either guy is really valuable. You know, you, you see a lot of times you talk about the best team in the league or the the reigning champs. They they run that step and dream on pick and roll all the time because it's such a tough play to stop, you know, in five years. not saying that John Jaron gets to that level of synergy and, and impact, but you know, you need a bucket down, down, down one with two minutes to go. You can run that Jaron Jaw picking or Jaw Jaron pick and pop, and let either guy uh, get you a bucket is really valuable. Um, so I really like that fit. And then, I, obviously, Jaron's an incredible defender both on the interior or on the perimeter, and I think that'll kind of help mitigate some of Jaw's flaws there, at least early on, before uh, ideally Jaw Jaw shows growth uh, on that side of the ball.
0: Expanding the look behind beyond just jaw, you know, your top six are Zion, Jarrett Culver, John Morant, Brandon Clark, Grant Williams. And R.J. Barrett. You know, it's been said that the Grizzlies are, con, you know, the one player they're considering with jaw at number two is R.J. You have him in six. I want to kind of talk about him and Jarrett Culver. You know, maybe not necessarily this, you know, they're obviously not the same type of player, but I think the argument certainly can be there that Jarrett Culver is, is a more complete player. It seems like that's at least the case in your rankings. When you look at the Culver and R.J., comparing them as prospects, not necessarily similarity-wise, but what are Few reasons why you prefer Culver going forward versus RJ.
1: Yeah, the I I think the biggest thing that is maybe not a universal feather, but a really a pretty pretty uh, accepted feather in, in Culver's cap of RJ is, is the defense, both on and off the ball. You know, uh, Culver is a freshman on that really good Texas Tech team that made the Elite Eight. Uh, was kind of their point of attack defender when he, a, when he had a smaller role and was mostly just shooting spot up threes and. Uh, he was a really, really good defender both on and off the ball. Last year he had some, some more lapses, but that's because his usage was over 30% and he was kind of adjusting a new role offensively. Um, But he's, he's really good in terms of kind of being physical. He anticipates uh, beating guys to their spots. He's, he's kind of baits guys into making questionable decisions off the ball so he can get blocks or steals. He sees the floor well defensively, Uh, you know, whereas RJ, he plays a little too stiff Uh, when he's guarding on the ball. He's, a little too lackadaisical off the ball, missing tagging rollers or rotating to shoot and stuff like that. Um, so that would be the big thing that I I trust more uh, is him being an impact defender um, because not just because they're both you know six seven ish uh, guys, but Culver's shown the ability to be a really impactful player on that side of the ball, which is something R.J. hasn't shown. Uh, but then some of the other reasons I like him is I think Culver's shown um to be a more willing passer. I think RJ's shown talent, especially at lower levels, when his mentality is a little bit altered, but is a really good facilitator. You know, he doesn't have a great assist to turnover ratio, but the thing I keep coming back to is, like, he's not going to be a primary ball handler in the NBA. That's just not a role that's going to be best suited for him. So I think those numbers look better. And then I think he's a little bit better as a finisher, a little more, little better touch. I think he shot about 3% better at the rim than uh, RJ this year. Granted, Duke spacing was, like, not just bad for college, but, like, historically bad. RJ was kind of driving in a lot of crowded lanes this year. So, the three things for me are are finishing ability, uh, playmaking, willingness. I think, I think, in terms of ability, they're pretty equal, but I like the willingness a little more from Culver and then just defense, uh, both on and off the ball. Um, The first two points I think can kind of be, are kind of contentious, but the last one I think is pretty, is pretty clear cut for me.
0: And I agree with you on Culver. That's why I like him as a prospect. I know there are questions about his, you know, potential shooting ability and things like that. But, I mean, the guy's made himself into an NBA prospect and a special one at that. And that willingness really is something that can make a difference as you continue to project these guys in the NBA. So another question I really wanted to focus on, and I think that this hits home for you and me, you being, uh, you know, I believe you're a Gonzaga fan yourself. You, you write for the Gonzaga Bulletin, and I am a huge Balls fan. Well, you've got Brandon Clark from Gonzaga, Grant Williams um, <laughs> from Tennessee at four and five. Uh, Grant Williams, obviously, is, is, is Clark is, is probably the biggest riser over the past month in the draft, but you seem to be very high on Grant Williams. Talk a little bit about why you think Clark has risen rose so much over the past month and why you have such a high opinion on grant williams in this draft
1: yeah i think clark's a guy who really just uh who truthfully rose kind of throughout the basketball season or the end of the season as gonzaga was a high profile team and he was he was starring on both sides of the ball uh i think people really like his defensive versatility you know that's kind of one of the the big things people harp on in the draft process now for bigs can they switch on the perimeter can they defend point guards or lead ball handlers. And I think Clark's shown an ability to do that. Uh, incredibly good defender, just smart, instinctual, aware, uh, incredible athlete. You know, if Zion wasn't in this draft, people will be talking about Clark as kind of the freak athlete, I think. Um, and I, I I think some, the, those who are high on him, either, you know, on, on NBA Twitter or on draft Twitter or just around the league, buy into him becoming a pretty solid shooter just because he radically changed his form so much from – uh San Jose State uh to Gonzaga so I think that's that's a really big point in his favor uh and then with with Grant Williams he's just a guy who I think is a similar to Clark just a really really good basketball player and he has a lot of translatable skills uh kind of similar to Clark in the idea that they can both be kind of help side rim protectors they're super aware when they make rotations very vertical uh you know they're not one of those guys who kind of leans over and kind of hits the hits the guy's shoulder or their arm or whatever when they're Contesting a shot at the rim, uh, Clark's are really or not Clark. Me, Grant's a really good passer from the post, even on the from the elbows, uh, maybe even on the pick and roll a little bit when he's rolling to the bucket. Um, really, really strong, and not just strong in the sense that he's got big muscles and, and probably weight weightlift a lot to the point that it, he applies it really well um, on both ends of the court. You know, I, I saw a lot of plays this year where Williams would rotate over and a guy would go up and he's just so strong that the guy would bounce off of him and he couldn't, he couldn't shoot over the top because he was like on his way down or whatever. And the shot just kind of slipped out of his hand or something. Um, And then I buy a shot, you know, very good finisher, soft touch from kind of mid range and in Uh, showed improvement as a free throw shooter over his three years at Tennessee. Um, So I projected he'll be kind of fine there in terms of a spot up guy, pick and pop guy. Um, But at the heart of it with both of them is just, they're really good basketball players who I think have, skills that are valuable in the league you know they're not just guys who filled it up and shot a bunch of threes and turn the ball over a ton maybe some of those shorter high usage guards that uh, fizzle out in the nba but just a lot of projectable important skills that they showed in college that are going to be valuable in the nba
0: So kind of going down your list, and as we get into, you know, the late lottery, you know, into the teens and things like that, um, you start getting into prospects who obviously have their flaws, but, you know, are raw. And and when I say raw, they really haven't developed their, you know, had the chance to develop their skills for whatever reason it may be. And and four names that kind of come to mind are Kevin Porter Jr., Romeo Langford. Um, Cam Reddish and Nasir Little. Now, your rankings obviously are out there, so that probably obviously gives a hint at your opinion. But when you look at Porter Jr., Langford, Reddish, and and Little, do you see any of them eventually developing into an all-star level talent? And, and who do you feel has the best chance of reaching that? Who might you think out of that group probably is going to be the most disappointing a long-term?
1: yeah I think if I had to bet on one to be an all star uh, it would probably be Porter junior and i think I think that's just because he's very, very good at creating space off the dribble um and I think he's up he's not he has, he's not a great passer, but i've I've seen enough flashes in the games he played to think he' can be pretty good in that regard um and then truthfully I think his defense is a little underrated you know he had a good steal rate at USC he wasn't a very good defender overall so it's not like I'm betting on him to become an all defensive caliber wing but I think he's going to be good enough on that end you know I think a lot of people see this guy who sometimes doesn't have a great doesn't have a great body language he missed some games he has some off the off the court stuff that people worry about and it's kind of like oh like boom like bad defender you know like guy like to shoot a lot off the dribble bad defender kind of that conflating that idea but when I've watched his games I've been pretty impressed you know I had some lapses but pretty bouncy and and lively as a defender on on his toes. He generally knows what he's doing at times, which I like. Um, So he'd be my bet to be an all-star. I wouldn't necessarily bet on him. I have him 13th if I thought he was going to be an all-star. I'd have him somewhere in the four to five range probably, just because I don't think this class is rich with future all-stars. But the guy I'm I'm pretty low on, you know, I think Reddish, uh, Langford, and, and Porter Jr. are all pretty close in my rankings, all within six or seven spots, give or take. Uh, would be in this year little. No, he's 29th or thirtieth on my board. Uh just just not a huge fan of him right now. He's just not a very good basketball player and I I don't think he has a bunch of skills that I'm like, I have he shows a bunch of flashes I'm like, okay, yeah, I got like I gotta get this guy higher on my board. You know, there's there's certain guys who aren't good at basketball right now, but have shown enough flashes to the point where like, okay, if he figures out like that's gonna be a very valuable player, the things he's shown are are impactful plays. where with, with Little it's just like just not a ton to me he's not very good uh defensively despite being pretty athletic and, and strong um i think he'll be a fine shooter even though he didn't shoot very well at unc but i'm going to be a very versatile shooter not a guy you run off a bunch of screens and can attract defenders and then create for others in that sense um when he did kind of call his own number he took a lot of ill-advised shots missed open guys uh just a really tough year from unc i admit that you know coming off the bench after being a highly tired recruit isn't isn't easy so that's why i do have him in the first round you know i think if he was just kind of a no-name guy and was just a starter who was bad, he'd probably be somewhere either in the fifties or, or not even in my top 60, but um, buying into the work ethic seems like a pretty high character guy, but just not enough skills to the point where I'm like, you know, this guy, like if he figures this out, figures it out and gets together, he's a top 20, top 15 guy in, in, in this class, um, unfortunately, but you know, I'm rooting for him. He seems like a really a guy out of all the stories and interviews I've seen Uh high character, great work ethic, but, uh, you know, even some of the good games that I watched this year, a lot of it was him scoring in transition or in the open floor. Not really a very viable offensive guy in the half court, which is generally where the NBA is is played. You know, it's great to be a great transition player, but you got to be able to do something in the half court beyond just shoot spot up threes if you're if you're worthy of like a top 13, 14 pick.
0: Again, here with Jackson Frank, um, uh, we're we're um, going to have just a few more questions about the draft, and then a uh, a potential uh, a question about you know potential movement as well. Um, you know, obviously, a big story about the Raptors is the development of Pascal Siakam. Ah, uh, forgive me if I say his name wrong. I never get it right. But um, I believe the 27th pick two years ago in the draft, and and you know, obviously, you know the 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 Bucks, the Raptors. You know, you've seen several teams who have been able to take these late first, early second guys and develop them, you know, into significant talents. When you look, I know that the Sixers have the 24th pick in the draft. When you look kind of in that, that 20s range, besides Grant Williams, who may land there, we know you have a, a high opinion on him, obviously, but just a couple of other names who you really think if, if they land in the right situation could be that type of player that out of nowhere becomes a really significant talent um, You know, early in their career. Who has that potential in that range?
1: Yeah, it's tough just because Siakam was a really unique case in terms of his rapid skill development and kind of coming from a small school. He came from uh, Cameroon and uh, was pretty well unknown. Obviously his his story is is well documented now after his last couple of years, especially this year. But, um, you know, if I had to say someone that I think could figure it out uh, really quickly and become a really good player, um, not necessarily to the degree of Siakam or anything, but, uh two guys that stand stand out or one guy I think that stand out was kind of that 20 range would be Nick Claxton from from Georgia not that I think he's going to be a top 30 top 35 player by his uh second second year or third year in the league um like Siakam is but uh you know he can handle the ball pretty well he moves really fluidly for a big um I I question a little bit how much he can do as a big man like he's got some fun uh perimeter skills but um if you, I mean, one of those guys, if you squint hard enough, you can see some of the outlines of Siakam, a, a power forward slash center who can handle the ball, attack from the perimeter a little bit, defend multiple positions. Um, I don't think Claxton's ever going to be a very good shooter. He's got some technical issues and his free throw form, numbers aren't great. Um, but if you, had, if you like if I had to pick one guy from that range, uh, Claxton would be my pick. And he might even go higher. I think San Basini reported the day that he canceled all his workouts with non-lottery teams. So, Uh, you know, maybe he's in the teens already. Maybe he's got a promise from the lottery team that's going, going bold. Um, but I have, I have Claxton, uh, 26. So kind of right around that spot is, is where he could end up going. And if I really had to pick for someone, he'd be kind of my Siakam adjacent guy
0: and in terms of um are there any guards or wings who you really could see you know in that late first round early second round that could blossom is is there is there a guy in there that in terms of you know a guard or a wing that really catches your eye that, that you really will follow closely um no matter where he goes i i uh
1: the guy that comes to mind that i think has some really nice upside and kind of that that range would be a guy like Shimori Pons from St. John's. I'm not super high on him. I have him 31st, so I think I'm kind of middle of the road. I know some people have him. Uh, fringe top 10, fringe lottery. There's a there's a Shimori hive out there on, on Twitter that every time I post my board uh, gives me flack jokingly. But um, he's a dynamic shooter off the dribble, especially for mid-range. He's a good pull-up game. Really, really shifty handle. Uh, can kind of get himself to where he wants. Very good passer. Uh my question is kind of centered around his athleticism and his ability to kind of create space separation. He's only about six feet, six one. Um, but, you know, he's kind of one of those guys, if you're betting on someone to become a, a star or ball handler in that late twenties, early thirties, he would be my pick. Um, just because he, he was very impressive at St. John's this year. Three point numbers aren't great, but I think part of that inefficiency stems from the, the significant burden he carried for St. John's this year. Um, but he, he would be my bet if I had to pick pick someone to kind of maybe become an all-star in that late 20s or early 30s range.
0: You do cover the Sixers. Obviously, I believe the Sixers have 33, 34, 42, and 54 this year when it comes to their second-round picks, unless they may have moved one of them already. But that probably has led to you really focusing on the second round as well. I know you're probably still developing your, your overall top 60, but just a couple of names in the second round that as, as a Grizzlies fans and as a representative of the Grizzlies. um Fanhood, you know, we might look to buy a second this year, even though we don't have any. Just a couple of names that you know, in general, you really feel could be diamonds in the rough, could be gems that we see coming out every year um, to to have you know immediate impacts on whatever team they go to.
1: Yeah, you know, I I like a lot of the second round guys. I, my second like my thirty. I so I I've I started making my tiers of my my top sixty. Um, cuts up after thirty one for me. Uh, which is right where I have Shimori Ponds. So, um, but I like kind of that 32 to 60 range of guys. I think there's a lot of solid basketball players that can do things well at the NBA level if things break right. Um, and I spe- I especially like a lot of the guys who project to be solid backup guards, which is kind of a weird thing to draft for. Um, but I like a lot of backup point guards in this class. Guys like Tremont Waters from LSU, Justin Robinson from Virginia Tech, uh, Cody Martin from uh, Nevada. Um, or some of the guys I'm really a big fan of. And then a few of the older wings, um, Jeffries from Tulsa, um, Terrence Mann from Florida state. Uh, Terrence Davis is probably a second round guy. I believe, um, I have him 29th, but he, he might be higher, might be lower, but, uh, in terms of where he goes in the actual draft. And then an international guy, like his his name is Yovel Zussman. Uh, I want to say he's 20 or 21, uh, from Israel. Pretty lanky, long, but six-seven can handle the ball, shoot off the dribble a little bit. Uh, very good passer for size. Pretty quick in terms of straight-line drive. Some questions about athleticism and frame, but uh, the second-round guy is fairly young. I think he's another guy who could be intriguing. He's 30, 33rd on my board, so um, quite a few guys that you know that will go maybe either undrafted or in that late second round that I'll look back on and or look look at and go, yeah, I think that's a good pick for for team X or team Y or whatever.
0: And so again, wrapping up here with Jackson Frank, um, what, what kind of the last question that we'll, we'll we'll focus on is we we've talked about the draft and excellent analysis by the way I can definitely see why uh, so many ha- hold your opinion in high regard. Um, I will say that you know here you know as Grizzlies fans you know a big thing for us is what potentially is going to happen with Mike Conley. A general question is this: is that you cover the Sixers, you have a good idea of what's going on in the East. I feel like the East is likely where. Mike Conley lands, uh, you know, from uh, amongst several different teams. Do you feel Conley is one of the, you know, more likely names to move on draft night? What type of return do you think might be there? That's not necessarily your. Um, you have knowledge on that. Where do you see him landing? And, and a couple of other names you that may surprise us as far as potentially moving on draft night. Just a couple of names you may see overall being available and and making a big impact when it comes to draft night trades.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, yesterday on that ESPN mock draft, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, I think you mentioned uh, Boston, Indiana, as Utah's potential suitors for Conley. And, uh, you know, the thing I think some people are forgetting, you know, obviously people probably haven't watched a lot of Memphis in the last couple of years. Uh, so that maybe their first 15, 20 games of last year uh, is Mike Conley is still, I'm sure, you know, like, still really, really good. Like, like he was fantastic this year. You know, I think his defense slipped a little bit, but overall, like, uh just a really, really good player still crafty with the ball, good off the ball uh you know that contract looms pretty large, but I think it only has two years left, and he hasn't shown a lot of signs of deterioration besides uh that Achilles injury two summer two years ago um so I think that I think a team like Indiana would be worth worth pulling the trigger on you know? like they've kind of been stuck in that that kind of that first round out, obviously old people's injury changed things this year, but uh is really good and, and can raise team ceilings uh I it's tough for me, you know, really construct a package just because I feel like stars go for a lot less than we anticipate. Um but I think if if Memphis could get back a a, a young a potential young star, maybe with a lower round star and a, a first round pick or something like that for Conley, uh that would be a win for them and uh whoever gets them would be really happy because Conley uh, not as only really a great player, but he seems to be a great locker room guy uh you know I've had the chance to speak with him once just for a few minutes and was just very insightful and well spoken and um so I I just think he's the type of guy you probably should if you need a point guard help if you have a, a hole at point guard and you've got some assets to to use, you should be calling up Memphis this summer or this this week or something. Um other names that I think could move I I think the one team that comes to mind is someone like the Blazers. Um, so I'm a Blazers fan and I, I haven't seen a lot of big names that they've uh, worked out. And there's been rumors or reports that they may be looking to move that first round pick to shed some uh, salary. They tried to do it last year. They couldn't find anyone. Um, so I'd say maybe, maybe one of those bigger contracts on the Blazers, a guy like Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, Myers Leonard attached with their first round pick um, could be something that happens. But other than that, Not a ton of guys come to mind. I'm sure we'll see some some small moves um, on the fringes, but I think – I I hope Mike Conley goes to a team that gives him a chance to win because uh, he deserves it, and I hope Memphis gets something good back because uh, it's been a really nice partnership between the two, but, you know, it's tough to see veterans kind of – I think he said he doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild, so um, I hope teams realize how good Mike Conley is and how much he should be valued for teams who need a point guard.
0: And at the end of the day, I know you said that you're a Blazers fan, but I will ask, as a guy that does cover the Sixers, do you feel at the end of the day that when free agency comes, they will sign back both Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's the that's the big question, right? Um, you know, my my gut tells me just just based off and just just in intuition, nothing uh, sourced or from intel. Just I, I think Butler resigns uh but i think tobias signs elsewhere whether that be indiana utah brooklyn uh you know those are kind of i think three teams have been kind of linked to them in some capacity um just gut. i i'm not you know i could be off not, i could neither one could sign both maybe harris only signs but uh i think jimmy comes back on that that max deal um maybe they structure so it's kind of kind to the sixers on the back end in the case butler declines at the end um, but that's just me i think they get butler and and they lose Harris, um, but I, but again, I could be off, but um, that's just kind of what my gut, my gut's telling me about three weeks out from, from free agency.
0: Well, Jackson, uh, you've been very kind to take time to talk with us. It's been a pleasure. Like I say, I've I've been uh, uh, trying to to, to find the way to be able to get a hold of you, to to be able to have this opportunity to speak with you, and you delivered just excellent insight. can't thank you enough. Just take a moment. Uh, Memphis is a a big city when it comes to wanting to get as much basketball knowledge as they can. How can people find you? Um, If there wasn't something that I mentioned where else you do work, please mention that. But just uh, go ahead and uh, let the – folks who are listening know where they can find your work. And, and obviously if you've got any other big projects going on.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the kind of words I'm happy to have to come on, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. You can find my general NBA content at fan size, the step back, my 76ers related content at SB nation Liberty ballers. And then uh, probably not during the off season, but uh, during the season, I do a little bit of freelance work for the athletic Philadelphia on the Sixers. So um main places over the summer, though, will be Fan Size and Step Back and Espinations Liberty Ballers. And then, again, I'm uh, probably on Twitter way too much talking hoops and whatnot. So always feel free to, to uh, reach out to me on there. Again, at Jack Frank underscore JJ, JJF.
0: Well, Jackson, if you don't mind just hanging on once we end here, just uh, wanted to uh, talk with you for a few more moments. But, again, his name is Jackson Frank. Can't thank him enough for spending time with us tonight. And thank you all for listening on this edition of the Three D Podcast.